Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want uh, the Word of God in your lap so that you can uh, read it for yourself. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're beginning a new verse-by-verse series this morning through the book of 2 Timothy. I'm entitling the series, the Legacy Series. The Legacy Series. All of you are aware that on the headstone of a deceased person exists three things, minimum, right? Besides their name, it has a birth date, it has a dash, and then it has a death date. What I want to talk to you about for the next 14 or 15 weeks is that dash. You are living in that dash right now. That dash will one day summarize your life in a dash. It will summarize everything about you and what, what the world says you were here. That dash is all you get. So you want to make sure that that dash is emphasized, that you have a legacy that's been left that associated with that dash says, this is who I am. You do not want to leave that, the definition of that dash up to somebody else. You don't want to leave it up for the, someone else to define for you. You want to make sure that you leave that dash the way that you want to leave it, that that legacy that you leave is who you want to say you were here in this world to those around you. And oftentimes, we forget that. We forget in the, in the weeds of life, and you know, you know, we kind of lose the force amongst the trees kind of as we're living our lives, and we forget that there's a legacy being lived out before us. And here's what you need to know, is that sometimes uh, that legacy that we think we're leaving out, even if we're intentional about it, sometimes that legacy is totally different in somebody's, uh, uh, somebody else's mind. Let me illustrate it for you. It was 19, or it was 1888. There's a wealthy, influential man, opens up the newspaper one morning to read what was supposed to be the obituary of his brother. It became apparent to him, and very quickly, that as he read what the reporter said, that he had mixed up their names. And so the obituary actually was the man's, the man who was reading it and not his brother. What caused him great concern is the title of this obituary. The title read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. The Merchant of Death is Dead. This man gasped for air as he read that. He was deeply troubled by the perception that others had regarding his legacy. That would have actually been the case had he really died and that been his obituary. But he got a second chance. And he changed the trajectory of his life based on the perception of what others said his legacy was. This man, literally, it's, it's said that this was a pivotal moment in this man's life. He would only live eight more years. But in those eight years, he, he made a very intentional, you know, focus on leaving the kind of legacy that he wanted people to know about, not what they thought about him. So what he did was he left his entire inheritance. He left his entire inheritance to a, a group that would then become responsible for giving out awards. This man, of course, is Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite and the founder of the Nobel Prize. True or false, the legacy that we think we're living may not actually be the legacy that others perceive us as leaving. True or false? True. That is an absolute true statement. Now, although you can't control every perception of other people, you can control the general lane that you're living in, right? People should be able to tell 
who you are in a very short amount of time. They should be able to understand what's important to you in a very short amount of time. They shouldn't have to be around you for days and weeks and ends because we really tell people what's important to us in the first five minutes of our conversation. We tell people what's important to us and, and that is the perception that's left with them. Now, we can fool ourselves and say that we're all about somebody else. We can say, you know, you can say, hey man, I, 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 when I leave, I'm going to be known as a family man. But listen, if your family doesn't think that, that's probably not what you're going to be known for, right? You're living in the dash. What are you going to do with the dash? What are you going to do with it? What kind of a legacy do you want to leave here? What do you want to be remembered for? You know, you may not get a second chance like Albert Noble did. But listen, you have an opportunity today to make your legacy, to, to make the focus of your legacy intentional in your life and, and really begin to, to uh, focus on this every day and not forget about it. Because one day you will die. You will die, and what you've done with the years that you've been here is what people will remember you as. The book of 2 Timothy is all about legacy. It's all about legacy. For you see, Paul is writing what would be his very last words on this earth. This is his last hurrah, basically. Paul is in prison. He's getting ready to give his life up. And he wants, he's, he's cool with his legacy, but he's not cool with the legacy that Timothy, Timothy is leaving. So he wants to remind Timothy as he passes the baton to Timothy, as he gives the mantle of ministry over to Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't forget the legacy that I've left you. you don't, don't forget it. If you're not intentional about it, you, it will be lost. So Paul is encouraging Timothy. He is exhorting his young protege with one message, sort of one heart. Leave a gospel legacy, Timothy. Leave a gospel legacy. Legacy. This is the kind of legacy that Paul left here on earth, and he is exhorting Timothy to do the same. But this takes intention and commitment. If Timothy hopes to leave the same legacy behind as Paul, he's going to have to, listen, suffer well, endure hardships, and be faithful to the gospel at all cost. At all cost. By way of background, Paul is writing this letter while in prison in Rome. Most theologians agree that he went to prison twice in Rome. He had two imprisonments there. The first imprisonment is documented in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, where it says he lived there, speaking of Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and, listen, without hindrance. Apparently, Paul was on house arrest here in his first uh, imprisonment. It wasn't really an imprisonment. He was just kind of confined to an area, but he was able to have freely minister to people. He w listen, it said, without hindrance. There was no affront on the gospel in Rome at the time. A.D. 62, Paul's, you know, confined to an area, but he's having people come in and out. He's having Bible studies. In fact, he's making such impact in the city of Rome that even the guards Caesar's guards are getting saved. He writes to the church in Philippi there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I mean, the, 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 this illustrates the kind of freedom that Paul had to spread the good news during his first imprisonment. It was thought that then Paul was released sometime around AD 62 or so, and he was, he was freed for about five years during that time. Uh, Paul then took Timothy to Ephesus. You know, Paul uh, had established a church in Ephesus. He knew there was a lot of problems in Ephesus. And so he took his protege, Timothy, to Ephesus to oversee all of the house churches that were there. And he wanted to leave Timothy there to be his man in, in Ephesus. And so that, that's what happened. But, but during that period of time, as Paul is traveling around Asia Minor, some things changed as it related to Christianity in Rome. You might recall the event that occurred in A.D. 64 where, where Caesar Nero, in his lunacy, 
lit up the city of Rome and burned about 70% of it to the ground. According to Roman his historian Tacitus, rumors began to fly that Nero started the fire on purpose and people were up in arms. So Nero did a spin move and blamed the Christians for starting this fire, which began the first wave of what we know to be the first persecution of Christians, the first wave of worldwide persecution there. Fast forward to AD 67. So this is some five years after Paul has uh, been released from uh, prison the first time. <laughs> now he's put in to real prison. When he goes back a second time, he is put into the Mamertine prison. It's a dungeon also known as the House of Darkness. According to Roman historian Sallust, uh, few prisons were as dim, dank, and dirty as the lower chamber Paul occupied. He goes on to say that the neglect, darkness, and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying experience, uh, appearance. Prisoners that went to the Mamertine prison were either awaiting a trial so that they could be put to death or awaiting their execution. That was the hope the Apostle Paul has when he writes the letter. I think I'm going to die. That, that's exactly what he, he says here, in fact, in 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Does he understand that his life is nearly over. I think he does. Therefore, the weight of these words is, is huge. What Paul is saying here to Timothy, I believe, is the, very, the, the most important words that he has to speak to his son in the faith. If there's nothing, like, if he, he had to summarize everything down to, you know, uh, uh, this letter right here, this is it. It's exactly what he wants to say to Timothy. Timothy, this is the most important thing. Leave a gospel legacy. Leave a gospel legacy. Not only was Paul in this horrible prison, but he was also at the very same time deserted by everybody. Just like Jesus was when he was arrested in Jerusalem some 30 years prior. Paul tells of, um, of this desertion. In 2 Timothy 4.16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all, thank you, thank you so much, I need that, but all, uh, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Listen, it's one thing to suffer persecution, but it's an entirely different thing to suffer um, after being deserted by all those who would call you friend, Right? That, my friend, sucks right there. They deserted him. They had forsaken Paul because of his chains. They were embarrassed of the gospel and the condemnation that the gospel is now bringing upon people who call themselves Christians. I don't know why this is a newsflash to these people. Did not Jesus say that if they persecuted me, they're going to, persecute you. Jesus set this up already saying you are going to suffer if you want to live for me. And yet, some 2,000 years la later, we're wondering, I wonder if we're going to suffer. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? Of course, we are going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Paul said, uh, you know, we're going to suffer for the gospel's sake. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is fully to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world thinks the gospel is ridiculous. Not only do they think it's foolishness, right? But they, but they are so against the gospel message that it angers people. To the point that they want to kill people over the gospel message. If that is not demonic influence, I don't know what is. That is purely demonic, and it's trying to silence the only message that can save folks. And, and so, you know, Paul understands this, and that's why he goes on to tell Timothy, anyone who desires to live godly will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. 
He goes on to tell Timothy, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that word is for you today. Share in, good, in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We should put that on the side of the building, right? We're going to build our church on the sufferings of Christ. That's a great way to, to, to get people to leave your church. But we don't care because we're not here to build anything. We're here to let God build what he wants to build. We're here to preach the truth. And the truth is, you're going to suffer. I can't tell you what that looks like. I'm not saying that someone's going to knock on your door and, and, and say, hey, are you a Christian? I'm going to, um, you know, put you in prison or whatever. It could happen. I don't think the girl at uh, Columbine thought that day when she went to school that somebody was going to put a gun to her head and say, renounce Christ or die. And this happens sporadically in our country. But I tell you what, our brothers and sisters in the 1040 window, our brothers and sisters in the 1040 window deal with this every day. They, they, they deal with this suffering every day. And consider yourself very blessed to live even in the landscape that you live. Even, though, even as, as chaotic as it might seem, I promise you, in comparatively speaking, to those people who live in the 1040 window, we don't know what persecution is. We have no idea what that is. And so, um, but what we do know is that anybody who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. We're called to endure like good soldiers. You know, soldiers don't give up in the middle of war. Good soldiers don't give up in the middle of war. They go, oh, well, this is too hard. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this very much, so let me just back into obscurity and not, not fight the good fight. A fake soldier does that, but a good soldier does not. A fake soldier runs from the battle. A good soldier will stand his ground when it's necessary. A good soldier takes his orders from his commander and does exactly what he's supposed to do. He has a job to do, and he does that job. Let me ask you a question. We, we honor, we honor U.S. citizens, people who, who put their lives on the line for your physical freedom, amen? Like, we get together, and we celebrate, and we remember the people who gave their lives up for our what? Freedom. Here, here's the reality of this, though. It's only temporary freedom. And we elevate that, I, I would dare say, almost above the freedom that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. How much more important is it for you who have the eternal gospel, the gospel that saves people from eternal damnation, how much more important is it that you are a good soldier, that you engage in the warfare of this world, that you fight the good fight, that you stay true to the gospel? How much more important is it? We're talking about temporary freedom versus eternal freedom. I would say that, and I, I don't say that, please don't hear me say that to dilute the men and women that have given their lives for this country because I certainly am not doing that. I'm trying to bring some perspective. We, we want to be patriotic people. We love, we love our freedom. We love what God has done here. But listen, you have a job to do. You're a soldier. And your commanding chief has told you to go into all the world and tell people about Jesus, even if it costs you your life. You have a job to do. And you need to be a good soldier. And that's going to put you in uncomfortable situations. It might even cost you relationships. But let me tell you something. You signed up for it when you accepted Christ. You said, hey, I want to be a good soldier. I want to be a soldier. I want the benefits of being a soldier. But you got to do the job of a soldier too. And, 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 and that's the reality of what Paul is telling Timothy. It's not going to be easy, man. It's going to be difficult. Paul, Paul, listen to what he says to Timothy. He doesn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, will you file a petition in Rome for me? Will you help, will you file that petition in Rome for me to help, help them, you know, get me out of this situation? No, he's trusting God. He knows, he knows what it's cost him to be there, right? But listen to what he says to Timothy. He's focusing on Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by this appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and com- uh, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Listen to this, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring su- endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He tells Timothy, you, when the world turns against you, you stay true. When the ter- world turns against you, you stay true to the gospel. You, you stay true to the word of God. Preach it, live it, share it. Listen, these are the words of a man who is giving up, ready to give up his life for the word of God. And he's telling Timothy, don't depart from the word. Stay true to the word. Preach the word. Make sure the word is what you're telling people, Timothy, not your opinions. Make sure you give them the word. And that exhortation falls downhill onto us today. Preach the word. Preach it. Preach it. You got to know it to preach it. You got to live it to preach it. Preach the word. That's what he tells him. Well, although we know that Paul was deserted by everyone, he was not alone. That's the one thing that he, he recognizes when he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul stayed the course. And because he did, listen, we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. He left a gospel legacy because he stayed the course. He kept his eye on the prize. He preached the word. He made the word of God the, the message that he proclaimed. And here we are today talking about him. What I want you to know, it's not because he was great. It wasn't because he was incredibly great. In fact, when I read about the Apostle Paul in his own mind about who he is, he's like, yeah, I'm not really a great speaker. Um, you know, I, I, he, he didn't have, he, he seemed to have a little bit of some issues in his own life. He, I think we paint him in a different realm, to be honest, 2,000 years later. I think, we, I think a lot of, we do that with a lot of pillars of the faith, right? But here's the reality. He was an awesome person. Not because he was an awesome person, but because he was obedient. What made him impactful, what made his legacy so powerful is his willingness to do what God told him to do. It, it was nothing about the man. It was always about the Lord. It was about, what the, about the Lord, what the Lord could do with somebody who said, here's my life. Do whatever you want. It's the Isaiah 6 kind of, here I am, send me, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Even if it costs me my life, I'll do it. And that's why God used him the way that he did. And I want to tell you that Billy Graham is not any different than you, or Greg Glory is not any different than you, or, you know, I don't care who you, who, whoever it is that you consider a spiritual giant in, in, this, in this day and age. What I want you to know is that maybe the only difference between you and them is a willingness to do exactly what God tells, tells you to do and to step out in faith to do it. That might be the only difference between you and one of those people. Here's what I say. Test him on it. Try him. See if, if you're not obedient to what he's asking you to do. If you, if you step into that, see what he does with your life. I promise you it will be far, far different than what you think. But it will be impactful. It'll be impactful. Listen, my life changed. You know, in 1996, in the middle of the night in my bedroom, and I accepted the Lord, never gone to church, didn't, you know, not, not really gone to church a lot anyway. I mean, I, I, I attended church. I grew up in a home that wasn't super churchy. And so, you know, I heard the gospel. I accepted the gospel in the middle of the night in my bedroom, uh, in, in fear of death, thinking I was dying in that moment. And I said, man, if I die, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. And in that moment, that true surrender moment, 
I literally said, God, here's my life. Whatever you want to do, do it. Did I anticipate ever being where I am today? No, not at all. Never. Never even in the sights. I, I never intended to be a pastor. Never intended to do any of this. But the Lord looks for people who are available. And when you're available to him and you surrender him, you're willing to do what he asks you to do, he's going to use you. So I encourage you, man. Wait, raise your hand to him today and say, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth because you gave up your life for me. And so here's my life back. We're not living for ourselves, man. We're living for the Lord. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God wants to do the same in your life. Same thing that he did with Paul. Um, he wants to use you in, in like manner relating to the gospel. I'm not saying you're going to be an apostle. And in fact, you're definitely not going to be an apostle. <laughs> But you're going to be a sent one. You're going to be an apostle in a different sense of the word apostle, a sent one into this world, right? This is the kind of legacy, man, I want to leave. This is what I want my dash to represent. I want that dash to represent a life that is lived out for the gospel that was true to the Lord and faithful to the end. I want to be... I want to be able to say the same thing Paul said to Timothy in the, in the last chapter of, of this letter where he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Is that the kind of legacy you want to live? That takes commitment. It takes intention. And it's an everyday battle. This is what Paul wants Timothy to understand. Well, this brings us up to sort of the introduction of the letter. We're going to look at the first five verses of 1 Timothy this morning. As we go through this letter, I want to encourage you to make a mental note or write it down in your Bible or whatever it is that you need to do to remind yourself that Paul is in the Mamertine prison. Go home and Google it. Look it up. Understand what somebody would have to endure to live in that prison. And I want you to think about that every word of this letter. I want you to think about where he is. I want you to think about that he's in a prison ready to die. He knows his life is coming to an end. I want, you to, I want you to visualize that as you read the kind of words that you're going to read in this letter because that will make even a more of an impact in and of itself is understanding the circumstances behind what was going on when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. And then also, I want to remind you to write down those things that the Lord shows you through the book of 2 Timothy. As we go through it, you know, we're going to 14 or 15 weeks or so at the end of it, we're going to have a time of sharing where we say, hey, this is what God did in my life through the book of 2 Timothy. How many of you guys enjoyed the, the, the testimonies of 1 Timothy? You know, and people saying, hey, man, this is what God did in my life. It was awesome. And we continue to do that over and over and over again because we want, we want to share with each other the things that God's word can do in our life. We want to share the growth that we're experiencing with one another. Um, this is not a show, folks. We're not here. This isn't an event. We don't show up to it and particip not participate in it. This is, the, the, if you read about the early church um, in this day, this, it was participatory, man. I mean, people sang songs. They quoted scripture. They, they taught. I mean, dude, literally, Jesus rolled up into a synagogue, and they're like, hey, man, you want to teach today? That's how it was. Like, literally. And so it's not wrong the way we do church. As long as God is the focus and the center of what we're doing. But what I want to tell you is that it's participatory. It's supposed to be. That's probably not even the right word, but hey, it works for me. It sounds good, so whatever. <laughs> hey, stand with me real quick. We're going to read first, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You're like, dude, you told me to open up this, this like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Father, we thank you for your word. This morning we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts as you already have been doing, Lord, no doubt. But will you speak to us, uh, continue to speak to us through these five verses now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, 18th century English literary Samuel Johnson said it well when he said this, men more frequently require to be reminded than informed. Men more frequently require to be reminded than informed. It's true. How many of you guys need reminders? How many of you guys need reminders of super important things? Guys, please do not. I'm not trying to set you up. But listen, do you know your anniversary date? Don't say it because you might be wrong. Do you know your wife's birth date? Don't say it, man. Do you know your kids' names? Listen, hey, we need reminders. As great as we think our minds are, and some of us are, <laughs> don't think our minds are that great, but, but as great as we think that we can remember things, listen, we need to be reminded constantly of even important things. And in the first five verses of this letter, this is what I see Paul saying to Timothy. I'm reminded, I remember, I'm reminded. That those are the words that, I, that are sticking out to me as I'm reading through this. Paul is now giving Timothy in these first five verses some good reminders. Some good reminders about some very impactful things. The first thing that Paul reminds Timothy of here is the authority by which he's speaking. He says in 1 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He, he, the, here, here is Paul uh, in, in, in a very intimate letter, the last letter that he's going to write to Timothy. He, he, probably, he knows that. That's in his heart, at least. He understands that this is an intimate letter to his protege. He may, ever, he may never speak to him again. And he begins like that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus? Why is he doing that? You know, this, this is one of those kind of moments that all of us have had in our lives here or there where we offend somebody by the way that we come to them. Here is Timothy, insecure, timid, not sure about what he's supposed to be doing. He's needing encouragement. He needs to be exhorted. He needs to be propped up. He needs to sort of get, you know, he, Paul's going to tell him, you need to fan the flame, Timothy. You need to get it in gear, man. And, you know, in, in, in people like Timothy that are timid like that, they can be easily offended when you come to them in this kind of manner where you say, they come to you and they might say something to you and you say, oh, but the Bible says this. Wait, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm just looking for some encouragement here. You're telling me what the Bible says. Well, what else do I have to tell you? You come with the word of God. Paul, although he is, he is intimate with Timothy, he loves Timothy, um, he's, he's coming to Timothy with authority. And the reason that he's coming to Timothy with authority, and he's reminding Timothy of the authority that he has, is because of the things that he's going to say. The things that he's going to say are not, you know, hey, slap you on the behind, buddy. Come on, let's, let's go. Let's rah, rah, rah. He's not going to cheerlead him. He's going to command him. He's going to command him to get on track with the Lord. He's going to command him to do what he's called to do in a loving way. But understand that he's coming to Timothy with commands. This is, these are not suggestions. This is not, hey, Timothy, here's some fatherly advice for you. No, this is from God through Paul to Timothy. 
I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one. I'm here to tell you uh, some things that you need to do, Timothy. I'm commanding you. He's reminding him of his position and authority. Here's what I love about this. Is that when you and I stay true to who we're called to be, it might offend someone and it might cost you a relationship. And some of you know what that feels like because it's happened to you. You're a Christian first. You're not a friend first. You're a Christian first. You belong to Christ first. It's, your priority is Christ. Your allegiance is Christ. And when you stay in that realm and you, and, you, and you live in that realm, some of the people around you may fade away. It's the way it works. Because not everybody understands that. And we're not, listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. You're not a wrecking ball. And you're not, you're not supposed to be, you're not, a, you know, the, the, you know, a bowl in a china shop or something like that, and you just mow over people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who's legitimately um, being who they're called to be. And when you speak truth and love, sometimes that offends people. But, but you have to be willing to do that to be who you're called to be. And what I love about Paul is he prioritizes his call over his his, you know, the personal feelings of maybe how Timothy might take what he says here. He said, I'm an, I'm an apostle first, Timothy. I love you, man. I love you so dearly. I would give my life for you. But I'm an apostle, and I'm going to tell you some things that are commands. So you need to hear me. He goes on, and, and, he, and he says, I'm an apostle, a sent one, by Christ Jesus, by the will of God. It's, I didn't choose this. This is something that God gave me. And of course, you know the story on the road to Damascus, how Paul got saved. It was the will of God. He, he, was, he was saved by, by the will of God and the will of God alone. According to the, he, he says, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul is saying is that um, he, is a, he is a messenger of a promise that is given through a gospel. And I love this because remember, where is Paul? He's ready to give his life up. But he's remembering the promise of the gospel in his own life, I think. But he's also telling Timothy to remember the promise of life. Where do we get the promise of life? Where in the Bible do we get the promise of life? It's in the gospel, in the gospel alone. There is no other way we can have the promise of eternal life except for the gospel message alone. There is no other message. And in fact, John wrote in 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. The gospel promise to us is eternal life, but what you have to understand is that this is a conditional promise. Not everybody gets this promise because you have to take it. You have to receive it. It's something that is offered to everyone, but like any gift, if somebody comes and gives you a gift, you have to receive it. You have to take it. And in fact, the condition is clear in the most famous scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Right? So, so here, here's what you have to hear there, is that God gave his son. This is the gift. Right? Here's the condition. You have to believe. Contrary to popular belief, there's not a bunch of roads that lead to heaven. There's one. It's belief in Jesus Christ alone. And, and when he says belief, I want you to understand, because we have watered down that word belief in our world today, and, and all we think that it means, I'm not saying you, but a lot of people, what they think that they need, they just need to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Of course I believe in Jesus. Who doesn't believe in Jesus? I mean, Jesus is Jesus. Who doesn't believe in Jesus? You know what that word believe really means? That word believe really means that you are receiving him. You're taking him. In fact, John goes on to say in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That word receive there in, that, that the, in the Greek there is the word lambano. Lambano, and it means to take hold of. 
So what, what I'm saying here is that sincere belief is, a, is, really, um, is really manifest itself in the willingness to take hold of Jesus Christ, not just acknowledge him mentally. It's not a mental assent saying, I, I believe Jesus was a person that he you know, died on the cross or whatever. It's literally saying, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, and I'm taking his works and I'm applying them to myself. That's what it means to receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. It, it's not, you know, the Bible tells us, James says, even the demons believe and they shudder. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, belief, yes, but it's beyond mental assent. It's literally a full surrender of yourself to the Lord, receiving what he's done, taking hold of his works and saying, I'm going to trust in this and this alone. I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm not going to trust in my ability to do anything. I'm laying hold of Jesus. I'm taking hold of Jesus. That's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. If you confess Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's conditional. It's conditional. It's offered to everyone. But you have to take hold of it. And when you do, you have the promise, which is eternal life with him. He extends that to you. You, you, you have eternal life, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Not because, of, because you're great, but because he's great. And we receive him in that way, eternal life through Christ Jesus so that's how you are born again. And I think there's something here that we need to understand. Paul is in probably the, the worst circumstances of his life. He's been in prison a lot, but this is bad. Not only is he in prison, in a bad prison, probably the, the darkest, dingiest as we read, the worst kind of prison to be in, right? But also, he's in Nero's house. And we know Nero lit Christians on fire and put them in his courtyard. He put animal skins on them and threw them in the Colosseum and let the lions out to tear them to shreds. This is, this is the guy that he's awaiting his trial from. And so I have to think that he's reminding himself greatly of the promise that he has in Christ Jesus. And when you find yourself in difficult circumstances, in situations, you need to remind yourself that you have a promise. And, and it's not about this life. That promise, one day, that promise will be made, um, you know, good. And God will give you eternal life. You focus on the promise, not the problem. You focus on the problem. That's what it means to keep your eyes on Jesus. You focus on the promise. You know, focus on all the hardship and the difficulty and all of these things, you focus on the promise. Paul is focusing on the promise. He's telling Timothy, hey, focus on the promise. Focus on the promise here, Timothy. He goes on to tell him, Timothy, he says, that he is his beloved child with grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this because Paul is reminding Timothy of three important factors in the Christian faith. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, I love this word because it's literally unmerited favor, right? God's unmerited favor for you. You didn't do anything to get it. He, he just gives it to you. I like to define it as getting what you don't deserve. That's grace to me. Getting what you don't deserve. Hey, you know, my kid's bad and he does something and I go to him and I go, hey, here's a popsicle, man. He doesn't deserve that. That's grace. He's not getting it because of what he's done or who he is. He's getting it because of who I am and what I've done. Here you go, that's grace. Get that proper perspective. But then he goes on in grace, but God also gives us mercy. And mercy literally means, this, the, the idea of this is not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. It's literally deliverance from that which you deserve. God has given you grace, and he's given you mercy. And you know what that results in? Peace. It results in peace. You can't find the peace of God until you know the grace of God, the mercy of God. You will never experience the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. 
the mercy of God. It comes last. But man, when it comes, is it beautiful? The peace of God, that tranquility with God, tranquility with others, and tranquility within the peace that we gain through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul reminding Timothy of these things. He goes on to remind him to be thankful always. I thank God that I serve. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestor with a clear conscience. Notice, Paul is thanking God for what? For everything. This demonstrates true maturity when we can thank God for all things, even your trials. For you know that God is working everything out for the good of those who love him. He's working everything everything out for your good. That's why you can thank him for everything. That's why James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trial, various trials of kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul understood this well. He understood that well, and he thanked God always. He thanked God no matter what he was going through. He just thanked God. He embraced the suck and said, God, I know you know what you're doing. I know that you're seeing me through this. I know that you're making me more like Jesus right now, and so I'm going to trust you in this circumstance. Paul says that his ancestors kind of left this sort of legacy with him. Who is he talking about? Perhaps he's talking about Old Testament prophets and patriarchs and, and pillars like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Whoever Paul is talking to, he's saying that somebody left him this idea that we thank God for everything, and that's how he, he's lived his life. He said, as my ancestors did, he's serving the Lord, notice. The idea here, to serve, it literally means to worship. It's not necessarily me, you know, um, doing acts of service to God, although he is doing acts of service to God, but it's his worship. His worship, and I want you to see very clearly how he worships with a clear conscience. How do you do that? How do you worship with a clear conscience? Repentance. Repentance is how you worship with a clear conscience. Here's what you need to know about a clear conscience. That if you live with unrepentive sin in your life and you don't turn those things over to the Lord and you don't turn away from those things in your life, here's what will happen, the Bible says. You will sear your conscience. Rather than having a clear conscience, it just won't bother you anymore about the things that you're doing. And so Paul says, I can be honest with you all and say, I have a clear conscience. Why? Because he was a repentant man. Because he repented. He turned away from those things. And, and, and you know, I think it's uh, Paul also wrote that we're to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Like the idea is self-examination. How many of you guys make self-examination something like a regular part of your life? You should be making self-examination a regular part of your life, sitting before the Lord as David did. Lord, uh, look within me. See if there'd be any wicked way in me. You know, reveal those things to me because there's things that you have in your heart that you don't even know are there. And in fact, God's faithful to bring those circumstances around to kind of reveal those things to you. Here's what I want you to know. Just repent. Just turn away, man. Just turn, turn, confess that sin, turn to the Lord, and you will stand in good conscience before the Lord. We should worship God with a clear conscience, you know? And that doesn't mean, you know, on the drive to church on Sunday morning, although you can do that, but, you know, if that's the only time you're repenting, you might want to ask yourself, why am I doing this? You know? God also exists the other six days of the week. Why am I only doing this on the way to church? Is it because I care about what man thinks or because I care about what God thinks? Because God's with you all the time, right? So this is something that should be practiced always. Paul is thankful for what God is doing because in those circumstances, God reveals the conscience to us. He reveals the things that are, need to be unearthed in our hearts so that we can turn those things over to him and serve him with a clear conscience. Paul goes on here to remind uh, Timothy of his prayers. He says, um, I, 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 I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I don't know about you, but I so appreciate when people tell me, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Now, if I'm a weak Christian or somebody who, who I, I might get offended by that statement. What, what, what are you praying for me for? You think I need prayer? Dude, 
you really need prayer. Like, we need to bring you down and, like, dump oil all over you and anoint you because you seriously need prayer if you're offended because people are praying for you. Right? I'm just saying it happens. Here's the thing is, I love that. I love when people say, hey, Pastor Tim, I pray for you every night because, listen, I need all the prayer I can get. I need all the prayer I can get. I need God's power and God's wisdom. I need God present in my life in every moment, whether I'm here or at home or at the grocery store, just like you. I, I, I need prayer. I need the prayers of the saints in my life, and I know you do too. That's why we pray for one another. We pray, listen, it's a reminder to pray. We all know to pray, right? But Paul's reminding Timothy, pray. Timothy, I'm constantly praying for you. I got to imagine that brought great comfort to Timothy, knowing that he was constantly prayed for by the Apostle Paul, man. You're praying for me, really? How awesome is that? L listen, I learned something um, very early on in my walk with the Lord that I'm going to share with you right now. You might want to write this down. Here's the thing, is that when you pray, the devil quakes. And you might not have a very extensive prayer life, but let me make it really, really simple for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of 10 people in your mind, and I want you to write those people down, and I want you to commit to pray for that, those 10 people every day. Not elaborate prayers, not long prayers, don't even know, need to know what's going on in their life. You just make mention of their name before the Lord. You commit to start to pray for 10 people. And you say, Lord, I want to pray for, for Tim and Sonia and Zoe and Jude and Crew and Kira and Silas. There's, there's seven people right there for you. So you can add the other three or you, I can do it for you. Pastor Mike and Leah and Pastor Brian and Tara. There's 11 people for you. Should we add to the list here? You know, we want to put, here, here's the reality. This is what happens. And I want you to make note of this. You start to pray like that. Very simple. God, I'm going to make mention of these people in my life. You're going to see God work in their life, and they don't even know you're praying. Listen, I would love to know what Timothy's life would look like if Paul hadn't been praying. I would love to know what his life, may, the things that maybe as a result of prayer, the apostle prayers, constant prayers for Timothy, what his life may have been had somebody not been praying for him. Listen, somebody was praying for you at some point. And you got saved, and you don't even know who they are. Maybe you're your mom or your dad or a, a relative or a friend or who, who knows. Maybe just some random prayer group. Here's what I want you to, to know is that prayer is powerful. I believe in prayer. I, if, you listen, put me on your list, please. I'd love to be on your list. We pray for you. We pray for you on a weekly basis. We pray for this body. You, God knows exactly who you're mentioning. He knows exactly what they're going through. So just, just do that and watch and see. Start to take note. Don't even mention it. Just start to watch that person's life and see what the Lord will do through your prayers. I promise you, you'll see things begin to happen. Paul goes on to remind Timothy of his tears in verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul reminds Timothy of what tears? What kind of tears are these? Are these tears of joy? Tears of fear? Tears of pain? What kind of tears are they? Maybe they're all of the above kind of tears. But here's what I think is that Paul, in referencing the tear, Timothy's tears, Timothy knows exactly what he's talking about. Timothy knows exactly the tears that, that Paul is referencing here in this moment. We don't have to know that. But Paul knows that, and Timothy knows that. And he's calling to remembrance his tears. Let me suggest something to you. Perhaps Timothy, because of the kind of nature and the character of who he is, is a timid person that internalizes pain, that internalizes crit, um, critics and all of these kinds of things, that perhaps Timothy has internalized all of this and he has now become a calloused person that has no tears that has no compassion, that, that doesn't remember the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in his life because he's so jaded against people. I can tell you an environment like Ephesus, you can get a kind of heart like that. As a minister, I promise you, you can get a heart 
like that when you minister to people over and over and over and there's no return. It's like an, like an empty moment. And you're wondering, what am I doing? You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the Lord. And so you have to remind yourself and keep your heart sensitive. And, and perhaps that's what Paul's referencing here. here. Here's what we know, is that Timothy's presence brought Paul joy. Are you that kind of person? Or do people, when they see you, are they like, dude, I gotta get out of here. That, that person's a killjoy, man. I'm out of here. Be the kind of person that brings people joy. How do I do that? Let the fruit of the Spirit just ooze out of you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let the Holy Spirit flow, man, and you will be a joy to be around, even in difficult situations. Paul so it wraps this up with a reminder of Timothy's faith. Look, look at verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. When Paul thought of Timothy, he thought of sincere faith. Man, how awesome is that? Timothy's faith is sincere. It's literally unhypocritical. Like what Paul is saying is that Timothy was a real believer. He was not a perfect person. He was not a spiritual giant, but he was a true and genuine born-again believer that was marked with having a sincere faith. That's awesome. Where did he get that sincere faith? It was passed down to him. Did you see that? He said, man, you have a sin- uh, I'm remind you of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Some of you in this room are parents and grandparents, and you long to see sincere faith in your kids and your grandkids. You're just pleading before the Lord, Lord, I want to see sincere faith in their lives, and here's what I would say to you. Live out that sincere faith yourself. Be the example. Timothy had godly example in his life of his grandma and his mother. And they got saved probably in Paul's first missionary journey as he's traveling through, you know, Greece and all that stuff, all in that area, Asia Minor area. And, and they get saved in that moment. And all of a sudden they start living for the Lord. And Timothy then begins to be nurtured in the faith by his grandma and his mom, and he becomes the protege of the Apostle Paul. Why? Probably because of their sincere faith. Listen, gospel legacy lived out at home is incredibly impactful. That's what he's saying. Timothy, you had a a gospel legacy already in your grandma, in your mom, and it's in you too. So live it out. Live it out. I want to encourage you this morning, if you have been living that out before your children and your grandchildren, you've been faithful to do that, listen, that sin safe, I, I think what Paul is saying here is it dwells in them. It dwells in them. Why does it dwell in them? Because you gave it to them by the way that you live your life before them. And, and here's what I know, is that um, you know, every person has to make a choice on their own. You can be the, Jesus had wayward kids, man. He, he had people that literally followed him for a period of time and go, dude, I want to follow you anymore when it got a little too costly, right? So what I'm saying is, is that, you know, your sincere faith may not end up leading into the salvation of that person or that child or that, that grandchild, but what, what you need to know is that it's there, that your example is there, and they know it. But it's up to them to choose what they're going to do. But you be faithful, and you be sincere in your faith, and you just keep doing that, and you trust the Lord, and you let the Lord use your testimony in their life. Hey, sometimes, you know, as, as, the, as the saying goes, you know, we need to um, share the gospel, and at times we need to use words. Use your life. Timothy's grandma, his mom, they had sincere faith. They lived their lives out in a sincere manner to the point in which here, Timothy is now, Paul's saying, you got that same faith, Timothy. Live it out yourself. 
Paul is reminding Timothy here about the godly heritage that he has. And uh, maybe you didn't grow up that way yourself. Maybe you don't have a godly grandma or godly parents or whatever the case might be. But here's what you do have. You do have a gospel legacy that's been lived out before you. In the Bible itself, Jesus Christ himself leaving that gospel legacy for you to follow. So we're without excuse. We have a legacy to follow. We have a faith to watch and to learn from. And we're just simply called to, um, to adapt that into our lives and be sincere in it. Amen? Listen, these are great reminders of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, but also to you and I this morning. May we take these reminders to heart and remember daily the authority to which we are surrendering, the gratitude we are to have, the prayers we are to pray, the tears we are to shed, the faith by which we are to live. I want to end with a quote from the great theologian and Roman general, Maximus Decinimus Meridius. Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. May God fill each of you with a passion to faithfully live out a gospel legacy that will live on forever and ever and ever. It starts right now. You're living in the dash. What are you going to do with it? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these first five verses of 1 Timothy, Lord. 2 Timothy, thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness, Lord. Even in the midst of trying times, Lord, he's faithful to all that you've called him to. And we pray, Father, right now that you, you help us, you stir in us, Lord, a faithfulness to be sincere in our faith, to walk out all that you've called us to in our lives, Lord. Encourage your saints in these last days. Father, we pray that you would reinvigorate those who have lost passion for you this morning. Father, that you would help us to return to you if we've, if we've turned away from you. For some this morning, maybe they need to believe for the very first time, Lord, to truly receive you as their Lord and Savior. Not some mental assent that says, I believe Jesus was a person and he died, but I want to personally accept his work on my behalf on the cross. As we continue to pray, if there's anyone here this morning that does not have a relationship with Christ, right now is the time. You're living in the dash. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray a prayer with you. God wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to give you the promise of eternal life, but you have to reach out and take it this morning. If that's you, lift your hand up this morning. I want to pray a simple prayer with you. Simple prayer of faith. If you're online, you can also uh, pray this simple prayer. Is there anyone here at all? You're not sure that if you die today, you're going to heaven. Listen, don't be a fool and leave with that question not answered. You lift your hand up. You, you accept the Lord this morning. The gospel is the only message that can save. And God wants to save your soul. If that's you, just lift your hand. Anyone at all. Listen, if you're online or if you're here this morning and you're not prepared to, to lift your hand, I'm going to give you the prayer. You pray it on your own. I prayed it in the middle of the night in my bedroom. Here's the prayer. Father, I come in Jesus' name. And I know that I have not lived the way that I'm called to live. And I have mounted up for myself debt that I can't pay. Will you forgive me of my sins, Lord? Will you cleanse me of my sins this morning? Will you help me to live a different way, Lord? I believe in Jesus Christ that he was a person, yes, that he died on the cross and that he rose again from the dead. But I want to seal my faith in receiving Jesus this morning. As my Lord and Savior, I want his works to be accredited to my account to wash me clean that all my sins would be washed away will you come by the power of your spirit now and make me a Christian Lord wash me of my sin I believe thank you Lord and Father for each and every other person in this place today maybe in different levels of their faith and different places in their faith Lord will you pour your spirit out on us 
And will you help us to stay the course, to preach the word, Lord, to share our faith. Lord, do not allow us to live in obscurity. The most horrific words that we could ever hear as a Christian is, I didn't know you were a Christian. Help us to be bold in our faith in these last days, Lord. You chose us to live and exist in this time, in this world, in the chaos that's going on around us. So help us to stand for you, Lord, and live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.